Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Just Doing Our Cobb. My name is Casey Serma. And I'm Robbie Harbin. Today we'll be talking about NBA All-Star Weekend, Miles Garrett getting reinstated by the NFL, and of course we'll end off with doing some daily fantasy picks and Husker sports for you guys, so let's get to it. So recently, the MLB announced that they are having some playoff format changes. Um, a lot of different things happening there. Casey, why don't you go ahead and talk us through some of those changes? Yeah, so basically, in summary, 14 of the Major League's 30 teams would qualify for the postseason in this system that Manfred is proposing. A four-team increase with the top team in the American and National Leagues earning a bye in the opening round. With those two teams set, a, set aside, the remaining six teams per league Two division winners and four wildcard teams would compete in the wildcard for the round for the right to advance. Then that the top seed would pick their opponent and the final two teams would play each other. I think it's interesting that they're having the, the top seed pick the opponent because that doesn't happen in any of their sports. I feel like it almost is going to give. Because, you know, obviously not all the times the wildcard teams are the worst teams, but by picking your opponent, I feel like that gives you an almost instant chip on your shoulder against the top team. Yeah, that too. And I feel like season records and a lot more data analytics is going to come into this whole system setup that they're going because your data analytics team that really came popular with the Moneyball A's and everything is going to be firing on all cylinders looking at the best possible. How do you hit in their stadium? How do you, how do they hit in your stadium? How are they against this pitcher? So it's going to go into a whole new field of analytics and stuff before you actually decide who you want to play if you're that first seed. I think it'll just be really interesting overall with how it looks is for the scope of baseball and just everything that's coming on with the game because right now with five teams qualifying for the playoffs it's just it's boring because a lot of small market teams probably get left out every single year from it yeah i think it'll be interesting because they're almost going with a an nba style approach because obviously in the nba you have 16 teams make the playoffs and now in the mlb you'll have 14 you know it uh gives us gives us a decent chance to see my red Sox without mookie and your indians in there next year again yeah some teams like that that are bubble teams every single year are just sitting like a little bit above 500 will have a chance to get in some of those teams you never know i mean october baseball's unpredictable the 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 indians run that they went on in the 2015 or 2016 world series was completely unexpected i mean blowing the walls off your boston red Sox and poppy's last series was pretty rough for you i'm sure but like that stuff you never really can predict that before it's almost like a whole new season comes in october every single year so it'll definitely give those other teams a chance to compete yeah, I agree, and I think it's going to almost kind of give you a March Madness College World Series type feel where you really do have these Cinderella stories. Like, obviously, playoffs had that a little bit with the MLB, but, you know, obviously by adding more teams, especially those lower-end teams, I think that, you know, some interesting things could possibly happen, and, you know, we could possibly even see some Cinderella stories coming up with uh, the baseball season. Yeah, the wild card teams, that they I mean, they barely make it past the ALDS anyways, but you never know. There is the potential for those matchups that, like, Obviously, the Washington Nationals were not favored at all to win this World Series in this past season, and they came out with it. So just that whole October baseball feel. I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see if this actually comes in. Obviously, people like Trevor Bauer were not a fan of it when it came out. And I understand the players' perspectives on if your team it doesn't spend the money, then you don't deserve to be there. And there's 30 
teams with fans in the MLB that I'm sure like a team like the Seattle Mariners when they were close to this wild card spot a couple years ago would have loved to have ended their playoff drought and got in. Oh yeah, but I want to get back to to your point about using data and analytics and how you hit in your home stadium, their home stadium, different things like that because we also need to talk about the Houston Astros because so much more is happening with the sign stealing scandal with Jose Altuve not taking his shirt off because his wife would be mad to Carlos Correa saying that it's because he had an ugly tattoo that was unfinished on his collarbone. Casey, what do you make of, of everything that's come to light in this new situation? I think it's total BS. Just it, it doesn't make any sense. And I feel like if you're this deep and you get caught to this point with how bad the Astros have got caught and how much proof is stacked up against them, you just have to own it and just move on. You already got your suspensions. Everything already happened. The season's coming up and you just move on. With all the players that are coming out now too, talking about the Astros, even like Mike Trout talking about them uh, earlier this week, it's just, I feel like you just got to own up to it. You can't keep fighting this fight even when all this evidence is stacked up against you. Yeah, it's almost, it's crazy because, you know, Rob Manfred comes out and says that... You know, there's going to be discipline for opposing pitchers and teams that try to, you know, hit them with pitches, different things like that. It almost seems like he's ready to punish other people more for retaliating against the Astros because he didn't do it. You know, I mean, I was just looking today. They already have a, a betting prop on the over under for the amount of Houston Astros that are going to get hit by a pitch this season. It's it's currently at 89 and a half. So if you like that number, jump on it now, because I think that could possibly go over. I think people are going to be targeting them, targeting them very very heavily coming up and my friend brought up an interesting point about the whole retaliation with the the rest of the league it's gonna get to a point i think that every team's gonna want to take their shot at springer and altuve and all those guys on the astros when they get when they get their chance to make their statement what is manfred gonna do then is he gonna go after those players and say you can't hit the astros players or else you'll be suspended because they're then the players that are hitting the astros players are getting more of a suspension for hitting a player with a pitch than stealing signs, which is way more unethical and not allowed in baseball. Yeah, I think I think the MLB as a whole needs to reopen this case with with so many of the new things that have come out, especially the whole Jose Altuve shirtless debate. I think it's worth taking another look at if you're Rob Manfred in the Major League Baseball because they're, the more that it comes out, their punishments seem to get lighter and lighter. Like it does not seem like those punishment those punishments fit the crime and it it seems like it's it is only targeted at upper level management and coaches and people in the front office and it should be targeted at some of these players like they got nothing nothing for cheating they were the ones that did it i'm sure it was enacted by the coaches and kind of forced on them but i mean they also partaked in it they didn't go to the mlb and say hey we're we're doing this we they got to stop and I, I just don't understand why there's no fines or suspensions for altuve and those guys who have been proven that they were a part of this a big part of it too you know even like a a one-year postseason ban or something like that to discipline the players because obviously a postseason ban would be huge because the Despite cheating, the Astros still have the talent to make it, you know, easily. They're a hundred win club most likely coming up. And so even just having a a postseason ban of a year, that can speak volume to what they did. I don't think I don't think the MLB's obviously gonna go that route because they seem pretty set in their ways on the discipline they already had, but I agree there there needs to be more on the players. Yeah, there definitely does. It's it's a very tough topic, but it also seems very laid out and easy with all the evidence that has come to light. One thing that I'm really curious to see this season, and we already saw it earlier this week at a training camp when they started opening up for the Astros. Some guy came and banged a garbage can three times and dipped before team security personnel could get to him. I'm really 
anxious to see what uh, visiting teams fans or uh, when the Astros go on the road, what the fans are going to do to welcome the Astros into their stadium. That that guy's already my new idol. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's move on to kind of something, another incident that is considered, you know, obviously dirty. The Miles Garrett incident with Mason Rudolph. He was just recently reinstated by the NFL. Um, he's still going with the claim that Mason Rudolph did use a racial slur during that whole encounter, and that's what caused him to act on Mason Rudolph swinging the helmet. It seems like he came out with the whole racial slur story really late after the incident, which kind of makes me almost side with Mason Rudolph. Obviously, I don't have any of the details. I don't have any of the facts. If Mason Rudolph, you know, did use a racial slur like Miles Garrett suggesting then it's a whole different story but i'm just not sure how i feel on the situation what about you casey yeah i agree with you just from the whole when the incident happened i knew garrett was going to get in a lot of trouble because obviously he hit mason rudolph over the head with what could be considered a weapon in court assault assault it it definitely could have went to the police if it needed to but just something about the whole aspect of that the first thing if I was called something like that the first thing I would do is go right to the media after the game and say this is what happened he said this and then but there was a waiting period where we didn't hear anything and there was rumors and stuff that that was what happened and like you said earlier Baker Mayfield came out of nowhere and was like I have no clue that even happened and he's his teammate after this big brawl happened and there's not they're not talking about that in the locker room at all Obviously, Mason Rudolph was completely in the wrong, too, and he was fighting with Miles Garrett. I think he should have got a, susp- a larger suspension and other things from the NFL, but it was just a terrible situation. It was it was entertaining for the fans, but it was just a terrible situation, and I think the way the NFL handled it was just awful. Well, now you have Miles Garrett, too, who just recently did an interview with Outside the Lines on ESPN where he, again, insinuated that Mason Rudolph did call him a, a racial slur, and now there's possibilities, there's talks around Mason Rudolph's camp and with his agent and lawyers that he may end up suing Miles Garrett for defamation to his character because, I mean, obviously Mason Rudolph tweeted that he a thousand percent did not use any racial slurs on Miles Garrett, and that's obviously, you know, a big a big hit on his character. Obviously, just from Miles Garrett saying it, so I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how that's all going to play out too. One thing I never understood about the whole thing is why was there no mic that picked this up? There are so many mics at NFL games all over the place, and there's nothing. There's no dialogue of the conversation that was released, and the, but NFL, the NFL has all this capability to release all this mic'd up footage and everything for the games. It's just crazy. Maybe if it was the XFL and every player had a mic, we would know exactly what happened, and this could have been over a long time got- ago got interviewed the second they came off the field miles why'd you hit mason over the head with a helmet <laughs> then then i think we could have gotten some truth but yeah i agree it's it's just oh, a bad situation overall where it's a he said versus he said no one's really sure what happened obviously both sides have their story but you know they're both they're both playing again hopefully they'll both end up just moving on and all this could be put behind but we'll see we'll see what happens yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this whole series as the season goes on. Obviously, with those two teams playing each other twice a season. So I probably Mason Rudolph's not going to be playing anytime soon because he's not a very good quarterback. But it'll just be interesting. Maybe some post-game things will happen in between the two. All right, so now we're going to move on to a new segment we're doing. We're going to be talking about some of the different teams that are coming up in the NFL offseason. Looking with some uh, quarterback controversies, maybe some quarterback problems. We're just going to run through and we're going to look at these teams and then kind of pick who we think is going to be the next quarterback for that team starting in this season, 2020. All right, so let's go ahead and start off with everybody's favorite Chicago Bears. Casey, who do you think is going to be quarterback in them next year? 
I've got a very interesting pick for the Chicago Bears. It's been thrown around a little bit here and there. I'm going to go with Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton gets traded out of Carolina, and he's the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears next season. You know, I played I played the Bears one a little bit safe. I think they're going to give Mitch Trubisky another shot to see if he can improve that arm, kind of get better, get more accurate. So I think they're going to stick with Mitch Trubisky next year. Mitch Trubisky and getting better just does not really go together that well. Once he learns to throw to his left, he could be dangerous. All right, what about the Miami Dolphins? This one's an interesting one because earlier today there was a report that came out that the Dolphins aren't maybe as high on Tua as we all thought. So I kind of had to change around my pick a little bit. One guy that I really think is going to play well in the, or do well in the combine is uh, Justin Herbert. And I think Miami goes with him at five. See, I'm thinking that Miami does, in fact, stick with Tua at five. I think that Tua's upside is just too high, but I don't think Tua's going to play next year because of that injury, so I think they're going to stick with Ryan Fitzmagic just one more year, maybe beat the Patriots again, who knows, but I think that Tua's their quarterback of the future, but for now, it's it's Fitzmagic next year. You never really know what happens when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick on your team. You never do. Next team, we're going to take a look at the Colts. Who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback of the Colts in 2020? This one's tough because I think it'll start with Jacoby Brissett, but I also think they're going to end up drafting drafting Jordan Love out of Utah State, and I could easily see them making a shift if Jordan Love can get the tangibles down, get his footwork improved, get a little more accurate with the ball. I think that they could end up making a switch just because he has the arm. He has a better deep ball than Jacoby Brissett does, and you need to make some big plays. So I think they could end up going to Jordan Love at the end of the year. This is an interesting pick. Mine's also a rookie quarterback named earlier. I think Tua falls because of his hip injury. And obviously with Jacoby Brissett there in Indianapolis, you kind of have a serviceable starter for one year. So they don't need to necessarily play Tua right away. And I think he would really benefit from Frank Reich's offense. All right, so next we have the Los Angeles Chargers, obviously moving on from Phillip Rivers. They do have Tyrod Taylor on the roster, but of course they can draft someone, bring in a free agent. Who you got on the Chargers next year? I don't think you're going to like this pick at all, but my pick for the San Diego or the Los Angeles Chargers now is Tom Brady. He's will be not the quarterback going. There. He's not going to L.A. But tell tell me why. He's the quarterback there because. He's going to be moving out there with his supermodel wife, and they're going to start their new life out there like LeBron did. And he's going to go out there and lead the San Diego, or the Los Angeles Chargers for two seasons and then hang it up. You know, I, I almost thought about going with the safer approach in Tyrod Taylor, but I think the Chargers are going to bring in another guy, also starting with the team, not Tommy Brady, though. They're going to bring in Teddy Bridgewater from the New Orleans Saints. I think he has all the makings of, obviously, a starting NFL quarterback. He played really well this past season went undefeated with the Saints in his starts obviously was great with the Vikings but I think that he's a guy that could possibly come in take over with some of these weapons you know Keenan Allen Austin Eckler different guys like that on the charter so I think it's going to be a guy like Teddy Bridgewater that's a really good pick too because it would be the exact opposite of the breeze move from San Diego to New Orleans and then Teddy would go New Orleans to LA if it all works out the same that's definitely a big move sometimes it just writes itself all right so since you do think Tom Brady is leaving the Patriots who's going to be quarterback in the next year Casey I'm going to go with someone with another last name that starts with a T Ryan Tannehill Division rival of the Patriots for a very long time. Bill Belichick, he always he has this reclamation thing where he just picks up guys from around the league and they start playing better when he gets there. He saw a little bit of a hint with it 
in the AFC wildcard game against the the Titans. So I could totally see Ryan Tannehill fit into that system. He's got a lot more mobility than Tom Brady, so they may be, be able to do some more creative stuff with that. But he has all the workings of a New England Patriots quarterback, I think. Tom Brady's not leaving. <laughs> we'll see. That's, that's all I have to say on the subject. All right, got new head coach Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. Who's, who's he looking to for the future? My pick for the Carolina Panthers, it was actually the same pick that you made earlier. It is Jordan Love. That was my pick with the Carolina Panthers. He has the he has all the workings, I think, of a Baylor quarterback, like what Matt Rule would have worked with at Baylor. I don't know. It's he has all the intangibles to be that next really great quarterback in the NFL. Didn't have that good of a year last season at Utah State, but two years ago when he had weapons, he was dealing. The guy was dealing. He has he's kind of similar to Josh Allen with his athleticism and other things, and I think that's really gonna draw the eye of the Panthers. You know, I like how you brought up that Jordan Love is essentially a Baylor quarterback at heart. I went with an actual Baylor quarterback, Robert Griffin III. No, I'm just kidding. I think they're gonna. <laughs> I think they're gonna stick with Cam Newton. When Cam's healthy, he can still be an MVP, MVP caliber player. I think. I think Matt Rule is gonna want to try to test it out with him and Christian McCaffrey again because obviously, Ron Rivera got him to the Super Bowl, but can never quite get over that hump. I think Matt Rule is a great coach, and I think that he's gonna want. He's gonna want a trial at least one year of Cam Newton with Christian McCaffrey in that backfield. That'd be interesting. It'd be a good transition for a head coach too if he was healthy. I just think with all the trade talks, he doesn't stay. I, I don't know. You never know, though. All right, moving on. The new-founded Las Vegas Raiders. They obviously have Derek Carr. Tom Brady, you already said, is not going there because you think he's going to be a Charger. So who is going to be in Oakland next year? I think it's going to be Derek Carr, and I think he's going to stay just mainly because of the reason that they kind of shot themselves in the foot with not tanking last year. Uh, go, coming within one or two games of a wild card. It's going to put him in the middle of the pack, so all the premier QB talent, maybe a 2 will be there. Maybe, probably not, because yeah, I bet you he'll get picked before that. We never know. He might be there. Some guys like that might be there. Maybe a Jordan Love would be there. But I just think they ride it out with Derek Carr in this first year in Vegas and then see what they can do in free agency or the draft the next season. You know, I think it's going to be Carswell. Um, he's obviously not... He's not a franchise guy. He's not going to lead you to the promised land, I don't think. I do think he's a very good quarterback for where they're at right now. I think maybe this next season, maybe they'll tank and do it well for Trevor Lawrence. I think they could definitely be looking towards the future, maybe even draft a guy in the later rounds. But for right now, I think Derek Carr is serviceable for what they need. All right, so the last team we're going to talk about, one of the best Cinderella stories of the year, obviously led by Ryan Tannehill, Mike Vrabel, the Tennessee Titans. Who do you have there next year? Well, since I had Ryan Tannehill leaving, and new co- your new quarterback of the New England Patriots, can't, Ryan Tannehill. Can't, can't wait to get his jersey. Yeah, it's going to be a hot seller in New England, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, who's on the Titans? <laughs> I am going to go with Phillip Rivers as the Tennessee Titans quarterback. I had him penciled in with the Bucks, but obviously they've committed recently for at least another year to Jameis Winston after that eye surgery it really sold them on Jameis yeah he's going 60 and 60 this year 60 TDs 60 picks so who wouldn't want that so I'm gonna go with Philip Rivers he needs a home he's probably gonna get at least one more chance to start in his career I think that a team with a a pretty solidly built playoff level defense is gonna at least get the best out of Philip Rivers you never know he could revitalize his career and it could be a happy story for both these teams Maybe almost a uh, a Peyton Manning to Denver. Where yeah, he just be. gets carried by the defense. 
Um, I think they're going to try to get Ryan Tannehill a fat extension in Tennessee. Obviously, he worked wonders for them. I mean, whoever is their quarterback, they're still going to rely heavily on their run game and Derrick Henry because he's just an absolute monster back there. But I think Ryan Tannehill fits really well in their offense. I think it seems like Ryan Tannehill was really happy there last year under Mike Va- under Mike Vrabel, and I think he he resigns. So my my picks haven't been quite as uh, exotic as yours, but. I'm sticking with some of the hometown guys already. No, my picks are way out there. I bet you probably none of them even happen, honestly. But I just thought it would be cool to kind of see what the guys would look like if they shuffled around. Thought of started thinking about some of the other options, like maybe like a Philip Rivers landing with one of those teams, because you never know. He's got he's going to get one more starting chance. So we'll see if any of this stuff actually happens, though. Yeah, it should be should be exciting to see. Obviously, we're in for kind of a crazy one with this free agent class and this quarterback class. So now let's stick with the football talk. Obviously, XFL Week 2 is in the book. Our Dallas Renegades got their first dub with Landry Jones back at quarterback. Casey, what, were, what are some of the things you liked this week? Uh, there were some things that I liked. I'd, obviously, I did not like the Dallas Renegade defense or offense in the first half. They kind of scared me, and I was very worried that this team was not going to pan out. Uh, the defenders, really good team. They're going to be probably the tops. Them in Houston, but... There are some really, really bad teams in the XFL. Didn't really get a thorough look at it opening weekend, but Tampa, Seattle, I mean, even L.A. is lacking here and there. I don't know. Some of these teams are pretty garbage. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of faded since week one already. I feel like kind of like the AAF did. Obviously, it's not great football. There's a lot of good players, a lot of players, you know, if you're a college football fan, you recognize and remember. Um, with that Houston and St. Louis game, we did have a great quarterback battle. Uh, P.J. Walker and Jordan Tamu, that was a, obviously both went crazy in that game. So that was fun to watch. Um, I agree with you about the Renegades offense. It looked sloppy. Landry Jones made some good throws, but he also had some really bad ones. I mean, his second or third throw was almost a pick six. He ended up throwing two picks. You know, he went to what, 28 for 40, so which is obviously great. Had a lot of yards, touchdown pass, but he didn't look super fantastic. But that, I don't know. It's just almost boring football to watch to me now. Yeah, the second half really picked up, but that first half was just watching Josh Johnson and Landry Jones try and get their footing in this league was uh, very tough to watch. I think they both had two picks yesterday, too, so that was... Yeah, then, I mean, obviously, your former Buffalo Bill, Cardell Jones, looking great again in Week 2. They shut out... The D.C. Defenders shut out the New York Guardians 27-0, which... The Guardians actually looked kind of impressive week one, so that seemed like almost a huge win for the defenders because the, uh, the defenders and the Roughnecks now are the two top betting favorites for for the championship game. Yeah, the the Roughnecks look pretty good with uh, P.J. Walker. He's entertaining. I don't know if his it's sustainable because it seems like if they don't get that big play on offense, they just their drive craps out, and that's the end of it. So it'll be interesting to see if this their type of offense with the crazy big plays is sustainable for them. But I do wonder if Cardale Jones might actually be like an NFL level starter because he really didn't get his chance ever and he never really started in college had all the raw physical tools that you could possibly need to succeed in the NFL I don't know he's just really impressed me so far yeah he's definitely looked good and we'll talk obviously more about Cardale Jones later on and later on in the episode where you guys will hear my thoughts on whether or not he can actually make a return to the NFL another thing I have been impressed with the past couple weeks is despite how bad the LA Wildcats look have looked a guy like Nelson Spruce at wide receiver has been amazing obviously had a great game yesterday against the 
against the Renegades had a, a great game in week one. I mean, yesterday at six catches for 89 yards, two scores. He's a possible guy that could be making a, a return to the NFL here soon as well. Yeah, that's for sure. Another guy that I think is definitely going to make a return to the NFL is Cameron Artis Payne. That guy just, he's one step in front of every single defender. So that's exactly what you need in the NFL. If he's one step ahead of these guys, that means that he is definitely an NFL-capable talent. Yeah, I feel like the Renegade vastly misused him in week one. I was very happy to see the way they utilized him yesterday, going for almost 100 yards, two scores. Yeah, he he looked fantastic, and that's going to be crucial to helping, obviously, opening up the pass game with Landry Jones. So who knows? Maybe, you know, last episode he said, is it an overreaction that that offense going to get elite? Kind of got an ep- uh, a first sign in the second half yesterday that they could be could be heading there. And they got the tune-up game next week against the terrible Seattle Dragons with whatever they're going to trot out on off on Mike Riley's offense, by the way. So they definitely have another tune-up game to tune up their offense because that team is not very good either. Hey, the Seattle the Seattle Dragons actually won yesterday, despite Silver's having 91 passing yards with a long of 68. Yeah, yeah, that that, that was but one of the won. ugliest football games I've ever seen. I know seen. it's crazy that they won. All right. So let's go ahead. Let's move on. We just had NBA All-Star Weekend where, you know, last week we previewed what kind of the winners who we thought was going to win were for Saturday night skills competitions between the uh, skills competition, the three-point contest, and the dunk contest. I did get two out of my three picks right. Missed on Bam Adebayo, missing the skills competition. Casey, what was your favorite part of All-Star Weekend? Uh, My favorite part was definitely the dunk contest. The dunk contest this year was really exciting, I thought. A lot of different combinations, like I think Aaron Gordon maybe might have deserved the title there. Maybe (laughs) it's a tough call, obviously, with the the guest judges with the nines and tens. But just the the feats of athleticism by these guys that they show year in and year out. And Aaron Gordon, five years after or four years after the last time he was in, with new stuff every single time, it's just really impressive. I love to watch that stuff. Yeah, the dunk contest was great. Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Gordon, both with insane vertical abilities, both insane dunkers. Um, You know, the the judging was a little skeptical, certainly at times, because you had Dwight Howard with an alley-oop that got a 49 in the first round, which was so bad such an i mean it's it was a nice dunk and everything but that's not worth more than like a seven by a judge and they he got every a score is so high i feel every, like, what was the lowest score this weekend maybe a 44 i maybe i honestly couldn't even tell you but you know that was awful Ugh. that 49 was awful and then the fact that Derek jones jr has an insane dunk in his final round and aaron gordon has an insane dunk and they got a 48 and a 47 they both got lower than that 49 alley-oop i i mean aaron gordon he jumped over taco fall granted he landed on his head a little bit but that's worth more than a basic alley-oop that you can do in a real nba game yeah it, it just i feel like they go for nostalgia and stuff like that and there's bias obviously with the with the judges and, and i read an article about this is why you can't bet on the dunk contest is because of these variables like you can't really you don't have judges you have celebrity personnel holding up numbers obviously the best dunk that they have right in front of them is going to be the one that's a 50 you know i'm happy to announce that i did bet on the dunk contest and i did take Derek jones jr so i'm happy there you go yeah i, I planned for those obstacles i knew way was going to be on the panel and was going to help out help out the heat boy um another thing i loved watching was the skills competition i'm always a big fan of the skills contest i know it might not be the most exciting thing to people but man the big men dominated that contest obviously you know you had guards like pat beverly you had spencer dinwiddie shea gildas alexander jason tatum the returning champion and they all lost to big men bam out 
Adebayo beat Dinwiddie, Sabonis won, Siakam won, Chris Middleton won, and then, I mean, Bam Adebayo went on to win the whole thing, and that dude, I didn't even know he could shoot threes, let alone make him on his first or second try a couple times. You know, in that last round against Sabonis, I think it took him three attempts to hit a three, but, you know, he was like 50% on the night, which I was not expecting from Bam Adebayo. Yeah, that was definitely impressive with what the big men were able to do. It kind of goes back to our talk last week about if small ball, if Houston small ball is the future of the NBA. I mean, with skilled big men like this that can do all the stuff that guard can do, like it's just impressive. Yeah, then obviously we had the three-point contest too where Trey Young was one of the top favorites, Joe Harris also, but Trey Young was just throwing bricks, it seems like. It seemed like he was building a house out there. Then obviously you had Buddy Heald catch fire, win it on his last money ball in the second round which was just crazy to watch because obviously he had a really impressive showing by Devin Booker as well. You know, I think I think the three-point contest is better when you get guys like Steph healthy, Clay healthy, and they're in it. Um, Damian Lillard obviously was a, a scratch, but Devin Booker was phenomenal. I loved having him in it as well. Um, the three-point contest is kind of the most boring to me, but it was really exciting watching Buddy Heald in that last round. Yeah, I think guys like um, Zach Levine were in the wrong contest. He should have been in the dunk contest. I wanted to really see that matchup between Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine rematch again, but obviously we didn't get that. The three-point contest was entertaining at parts. I did like that they added the Mountain Dew corner balls. They were Yeah, those, those deep threes. You could tell it kind of set off some of the... Uh, uh, contestants because all of a sudden they're on the they're around the edge of the rim and then they have to go back about five feet and snag a mountain dew ball quick and then go back up most of the guys missed their first shot as soon as they backed up obviously getting the repetition and stuff which kind of messed up some dudes but overall was it was the three-point contest same thing every year here here's a question for you casey is can you think of any nba player that you think could win the skills competition, the three-point contest, and the dunk contest all in one weekend. Ooh, you put me on the spot here. Um, that's that's really tough. It would have to be. My pick would just be the guy that I just brought up, Zach Levine. See, I I agree. Zach Levine would probably be my number two pick. I think my number one pick would have to be John Morant. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because he he's. Actually, a little bit lower three-point percentage mm-hmm. than Zach Levine, but he could obviously, it's good enough to where I think he could win the contest if he gets hot enough. Um, obviously has the skills for the skills competition, dribbling, passing, and almost threw down an insane dunk in the Rising Stars game on Friday night that I'm sure he could, you know, put enough time and effort into it. Uh, some other guys, because I saw this on Twitter this weekend, and it just made me think. Some other guys I, I think could possibly do it. Donovan Mitchell. Oh, yeah. He'd yep. need to catch fire a little bit, three-point contest. Uh, LeBron James, but he'd also need to catch... He'd need to be really hot in the three-point contest. And then maybe guys like James Harden, who I don't know if I'd love him in the dunk contest, but he's a possibility. And then maybe like Damian Lillard, too. Again, not sure how much I love him in the dunk contest, but he does have some bunnies. I think, you know, it's kind of crazy that there's actually, realistically, you know, five or six guys that could win every event. Yeah, that's that's an exclusive group that you don't really talk about that much because they're able to do so much on the floor so yeah it's it's definitely interesting when you put it like that i never heard that question before so it kind of caught me off guard and i'm like it's got to be it's got to be a guy like zach levine guy that's got bounce guy that can shoot guy that's skilled offensively yeah zach levine him john morant immediately came to my mind which is crazy for a rookie to be this skilled and then zach levine was instantly number two that that came to my head all right, so let's go ahead. We'll keep up the NBA talk. I'm going to go through our, some of my daily fantasy picks coming up after the All-Star break. Games get back in on Thursday, the day that our episode is dropping, so pay attention. Um, one guy I do really like is Goran Dragic. 
for the weekend. He's playing against the Atlanta Hawks, Cleveland Cavaliers, obviously two terrible teams, not very good defensively. Uh, a guy like Kendrick Nunn is still hobbled, and he's kind of been a little bit cold recently going into the All-Star break. I'm interested to see how his ankle's looking after, but, you know, Goran Dragic has averaged 17 points a game in the last nine games heading into the All-Star break. He's a guy that can consistently get you probably about 15 at least, and then if he's hot, he can get you easily up to 25-30. Um, another guy I do like is the three-point champion, Buddy Heald. He's been so incredible since he moved off the bench. He's a lower salary guy, or a mid-salary guy, you know, obviously not the most expensive shooting guard out there. He does play the Grizzlies one game, so that's not a bad matchup because they just traded away all their perimeter defenders to Miami. But then in the next game, he does play the Clippers. I don't love him, obviously, as much in that matchup against guys like Paul George and Kawhi. Granted, they probably won't be matched up with Buddy Heald, but you never know. But I do really like him in a game, especially against a team like the, the Grizzlies. So Casey, walk us through some of your NHL guys this week. I kind of broke it up like I did last week into big salary guys and lower salary guys that you need in your lineup. Definitely for the big salary guys, you need Leon Dreisaitl in your lineup. Three goals, seven assists in his last four games played. The guy is on fire, leading the NHL in points with 95. You can't go wrong any night you have him in the lineup. Bottom line. Another guy, Patrick Kane, two goals, five assists in his last four games for a total of seven points. He's just always solid. You can always count on him to really contribute to your lineup night in, night out. I don't think I've ever had a bad night when I played Patrick Kane. Uh, Last guy, defenseman. John Carlson, one goal, three assists in his last three games played. It's been a little bit slow for defensemen lately. Not too many of the bigger guys are having scoring spurts over like their last four or five games, but he's one that's always consistent. Probably going to win the Norris Trophy this year for the NHL. Another big salary goalie that you definitely need if you're gonna if you're gonna spend all out on a goalie right now, go with Andre Vasilevsky. Six and zero in his last six starts, nine forty four save percentage. He's on a really good team with the Lightning. Always hot. You can't go wrong with him in your lineup. Uh, some of the lower salary guys I'm looking at, John Klingberg for the Dallas Stars, one goal, three assists in his last four games. He's a very inconsistent player, so if you catch him on the wrong nights, you could end up with zeros across your lineup. So I would say be very cautious when you put him into your lineup. Look at matchups, look at stuff like that, but he is pretty hot lately. James Van Reebsdyke has three goals and four assists in his last four games. He's one that kind of plays up and down Philadelphia's lineup, so you can't always count on him because some nights he could be playing with Claude Giroux. Some nights he could be playing with the guys on the third and fourth line, so you really have to pay attention to where he is in the lineup. But he is a goal scorer. If he gets any good passes from a Giroux or a Travis Konechny, you always have to watch out for him. Another guy, uh, another low salary guy, Kyler, Kyler Yamamoto. Since joining the Oilers, has 18 points in 18 games. This is his third call-up from the AHL this season or that over the past three seasons, third call-up total this season. In his last four games, he has four goals and two assists. He's still on fire, producing on that line with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So you can always count on him to have points and really do well for you as long as he stays on that line. He's a really young player, but he definitely will provide for your fantasy team, especially down the line here. A sleeper goalie that I've kind of picked up on in his last four, he's having a terrible season overall, but in his last four starts, he is 4-0, Mackenzie Blackwood of the New Jersey Devils. Four starts with two shutouts that included a 46-save shutout over Philly. If you had him that night, you were definitely in the top tier of money because night in, night out, he's not one of the highest guys own percentage but he only allowed four goals on 164 shots for a 976 save percentage over his last four starts can't tell you exactly how long this is going to last but if you have a chance this week get him into your lineup just experiment with him i think that he will pay off in the short term
All right, now let's talk about some of the XFL guys we like. I'll start it off. Um, a couple guys I'm looking at include Jordan Tiamu. I already mentioned him earlier that he just is coming off an incredible game where he had 284 passing yards, four total touchdowns. I think I think he'll continue to be hot next week. You know, he's on the kind of the mid-tier for salary as far as quarterbacks go because he's still behind guys like Cardell Jones, P.J. Walker, Landry Jones. He's that fourth salary guy. So for a mid-salary in comparison to the rest of the quarterbacks, he's a great, great value. Um, another guy I like is a, a receiver from the defenders with big playability, Rashad Ross. This last week, he had two catches for 52 yards with a score. Um, obviously, had some longer catches in there. Had some longer catches week one. He really... You kind of rely on a big play with him, but he is a lower salary option for you. And he's going up against the sixth worst passing defense in the XFL, which I know isn't saying much, but it is on the bottom half. It's against the LA Wildcats, who have looked just dreadful in these first two weeks. So I think those are some good value plays for you. Um, I really like those guys. If you compare them together, you have a lot of salary to spend elsewhere. You know, maybe on a possible guy like Cameron Artis Payne that we talked about earlier, who should be very hot going forward. Casey, who are some of the XFL guys you like? You know, I kind of went a little separate direction than you did it's just I don't have any faith in the lower tier guys as quarterbacks I mean Tiamu is probably the last player that I would play on that ranking so far I would never touch a guy like like obviously like an Aaron Murray or a Matt Brandon McGloin. Silvers yeah any of those scrubs I do not want them in my lineup so I would go with uh, Philip PJ Walker they're playing the Tampa Bay Vipers this weekend so he's definitely going to put up some points because that team is not good um, another guy that I really like Cameron Artis Payne we talked about him earlier I think that he's really going to get involved on this offense for the Dallas Renegades and his usage is only going to grow every week. Another guy, Nelson Spruce, you got to have him in your lineup. Him and Rashad Ross, you either you need one of the two because it seems like every single week that these guys are going to be leading the league in receiving. So those two guys are definitely guys you need in your lineup in the XFL for the rest of the season. All right. So now let's go ahead and move on to our betting picks. Um, go ahead and start with our lock of the weeks. I had obviously the, oh, I had team, team LeBron last week and that obviously didn't pan out for me is that fourth quarter was crazy intense. They only ended up winning mid, winning by two, not covering the spread. So I did fall to one and two on my lock of the week, losing my last two, but I'm feeling good. I'm having a comeback week this week, and I'm taking the DC Defenders over the Wildcats. That is a bold prediction right there. What makes you say what makes you say DC over the Wildcats with the spread this week? Well, I mean, DC just shut out and obliterated the Guardians and made them look like a high school JV team. I don't think, obviously, the Wildcats are good. I think Cardell Jones is going to continue wanting to, to almost have his revenge tour in the XFL. You know, I think it will, it'll be a big spread, but I think the D.C. defenders are just going to smash them. I, that's a good pick, I think so. As long as Josh Johnson continues to not play as well as we thought he was going to play and he doesn't come back to, like, form of, like, an borderline fringe NFL starter, I think that's a great pick. What's your lock of the week, Casey? Uh, my lock of the week is the Boston Celtics over the Minnesota Tim- Timberwolves in Minnesota. Obviously, these two teams are completely different the boston celtics are a competitor and for a championship and the minnesota timberwolves probably won't see a championship for 30 years from now Um, i like them because minnesota is the worst team in the league at covering the spread 35 percent of the time they cover and boston is the second best team in the league at covering the spread 61 percent of the time minnesota is also 6 20 and 1 against the spread as a home team and boston is 16 10 and 1 against the spread on the road as a road team third best in the nba last week i had um the capitals over the arizona coyotes lost that my first loss of the season so far i'm sitting at two and one so i'm gonna switch sports completely and go with boston over minnesota on the road 
Sticking with the NBA, another another game I do like for this week is the Thunder. Got to be back in home, back at home, taking on the Denver Nuggets. The Thunder, I believe, are the top team at covering the spread, um, especially when they're at home. The Nuggets come in. The Thunder, it's going to be a close spread, obviously. Either a pick or maybe the Thunder favored by one or two. I can see it kind of going either way. Um, I do think that the Thunder are going to be looking to come back and get a hot start again after the All-Star break. So I think that's a very good pick at home just because of how, how effective they've been this season at covering the spread. Yeah, I really like that pick right there. That's That was one that I was looking at in the NBA, and I just... I don't know. It's going to be very tight, so it is, like you said, going to be a pick em. Another pick that I like this weekend is an XFL pick, so just kind of switch swapping which our top lock is. Uh, I like Seattle to cover the spread against Dallas this week. Only because... I, I'm not saying... I thought this was a tune-up game for Dallas. It, it, I think it will be, but I think the spread is going to be insane for this game. Like, it, it could be 14 points, and we've seen in the XFL how easy it is for a team to come back. I mean, they gave... They gave the Renegades a, f- a four-point favorite on the road against the Wildcats last week. I can only imagine what they're going to give them as a favorite this week. So I And Seattle has a decent defense. Obviously, their offense is garbage, but they could definitely slow down this Renegades offense enough to get within that range of the spread and cover. But I think Dallas will win outright, no problem. You know, here's here's my last betting advice for the week is for as far as XFL goes, take the under in every game because my goodness, these teams cannot score. You know, the DC Defenders scored 27, the Roughnecks scored 28, Renegades 25, but they all, I believe they all went under. There's just, there's so much discrepancy in talent in this league. Take the under for every game. Yeah, two straight weeks of all unders. So if you bet unders on, if you put twenty dollars on, or maybe you do a fourteen parlay, put a twenty dollar fourteen parlay down on the under, you'll get your money back, guaranteed. 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 These, these teams are really not that good. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our favorite segment. Is it an overreaction? Where of course Casey and I will be giving takes to one another we'll talk about it, whether or not it is an overreaction um i'll go ahead start us off casey my first take james harden is the worst player in all-star games of all time you know i'm gonna say that that is an overreaction just maybe in the last three years definitely james harden is one of the worst last three years he shot four of 13 for 30 percent in the all-star game and that was the least competitive all-star games like the last couple years of not even competitive wide open shots all the time shot five of 19 the year before that and then this year yesterday he shot three of nine and he played 17 minutes obviously used sparingly had five fouls and two turnovers not the best out there but he's not the worst on the floor he can't be the worst all-star of all time i don't know he might be he had a game of like four or five years ago where he had 10 turnovers two in the all-star game how are you throwing that many wild passes yeah that was in 2016-17 all right casey what you got for me all right my first overreaction for you is that Aaron Gordon should have won two dunk contest championships. That is an overreaction. You already know I'm rolling with my boy Derek Jones Jr. I do think that the judges kind of, the judges almost robbed Aaron Gordon, but I do think that Derek Jones Jr. was the better dunker of the night. 
um, with that Zach Levine competition as well. I mean, both those guys were just so phenomenal all night. I wouldn't have been mad if either of those ended in ties. You know, I could easily see Aaron Gordon and the fact that he could have two. I don't necessarily think he should. I do think Derek Jones Jr. was better. I think he should have won. I think he should have beaten Zach Levine, but I'm going with that is an overreaction. No, I completely agree with that. It's the This one was kind of a pick em and the last one was kind of a pick em if you're just a judge. I do think... Aaron Gordon probably should have won it. He had a little bit of an edge in the last one, but what are you going to do? See, my thing is that he just he copied a, a dunk from Derek Jones Jr. early on and ended up getting an incredible score on it. I think he got a 50 on it from copying Derek Jones Jr. So They just hand out 50s like candy on Halloween at the dunk contest. Yeah, it's... they do. All right, my next take for you, Casey, is that this was the best NBA All-Star game ever. I would say yes. The first half did look a lot like traditional all-star games, but for some, for whatever reason in that second half and late into the third quarter and the fourth quarter, it was some of the most entertaining basketball I've seen all year. They were Obviously, they get a lot of wide-open looks and chances for dunks and exciting plays, but that's what the all-star game is about. They were going hard, and like guys like Giannis, that dude was playing like it was a regular season game. Especially in the, the second quarter, Giannis put that team on his back. Like, he was not losing that second quarter. No, he was dripping with sweat and just going to the rim hard every single time. Windmill dunks, everything. Giannis displayed it. All those blocks, that chase down block on LeBron that was called a gold 10 and literally almost looked like it all happened at the exact same time was overruled a block. I mean, that, there were just so many phenomenal plays. And I'm not mad at the fact that the first half looked like your traditional All-Star game because, you know, it's fun. It's it's exciting to watch Trey Young hit that half-court half, the half court shot, some of the dunks, different things like that. But then... They also kind of save energy to come out that third quarter ended up being a tie. That was pretty physical. But then that fourth quarter where, you know, they were competing to get to 157, that was just crazy good basketball. And I don't think that they're going to get a play like that all four quarters. So I really enjoyed the fact that they built up to the fourth quarter where it was just that good of basketball. Yeah, that was one of the most exciting ones I've ever watched. Probably one of the most exciting all-star games I've ever seen. I mean, from every single sport that the Pro Bowl sucks, the NHL all-star game, they're changing. It's all right. But this game was just really good basketball with some of the best talent in the world. All right, Casey, what what do you have for me next? Uh, My next take is that we touched on it a little bit earlier. Cardale Jones will be back in the NFL next year. This is an overreaction. Cardale Jones has been balling against guys that were construction workers a month ago. (laughs) While Cardale Jones, I think, is a great quarterback, he was Crazy good in college. Fun to watch at Ohio State on that national championship run. I don't think he's going to be back in the NFL. And that's also because the NFL is just so cluttered with talent at the quarterback position right now, obviously, because you have all these great guys coming out in this rookie class. You know, you have Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, so many big name free agents. I just I don't think there's a spot for him. And I don't think he's good enough to kind of introduce himself to that clutter again. So I think I think he could possibly work his way back soon, but I don't think it'll happen in the next year. If you were to put these two guys next to each other, Mitch Trubisky and Cardale Jones, who are you taking? We've seen Mitch Trubisky's body of work. We've never seen Cardale Jones. I'm not taking either of them. I'm still in the franchise at that point. <laughs> burn, the, burn the stadium down. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know because I've never seen Cardale Jones in the NFL, and I know that Mitch Trubisky can still do stuff with his legs. He just he needs to work on his throwing so bad. Yeah, that was one of the best parts about Mitch Trubisky. They said when he came out of college was his accuracy. It's just, it, it looks like he has no clue what he's even doing out there sometimes. Yeah, it really does. All right, so let's stick on the topic of kind of the XFL. My last take for you in this week's episode is that the XFL is going to fade quickly. 
I could see it in the minds of the tr- of the fans that have come to see what the XFL is all about if they're going to disappear. But I know guys like me and other football fans all over are going to be watching it no matter what. I don't think it's going to fade away quickly because they have the financial backing to stick around for a while. But I think that it's going to fade into the back burners as seasons go on. Uh, one thing that it, they could definitely change with this, and I was thinking about this the other night watching the games, maybe they could go after some Clemson or maybe like a Trevor Lawrence type player in his second year of college that can't come out for the draft and has one year left. Like in, like what RJ Hampton and uh, LaMelo Ball are doing in the NBL right now. Something that would draw and has a lot of talent at the quarterback position would draw some attention to the league. So if they could do something like that, it would definitely not fade away because people tuned into those Australia games just to see those guys. Yeah, but I mean, right now it's just it's sloppy football. It already seems like, you know, after one week, it's it's faded quite a bit. I just and then, you know, I love the idea of getting big players like that, big college players that can't go pro yet. I just, I don't know how welcoming Trevor Lawrence would be to going to the XFL. You know, on at Clemson, he's the king of the campus. He has Dabo Sweeney as his coach. He, you know, obviously he's played in front of thousands, you know, 80,000, 90,000 people every week. And in the XFL, he's going to play in front of what, maybe, I think the highest record or attendance game yesterday was like 25,000 for Seattle. I just, I don't know if a guy like that would even leave college football just for one year in the XFL. Yeah, that's for sure. It's, it'll be interesting to see because they definitely need more talent at the quarterback position with only like two really serviceable guys. But uh, that brings us to our next take, another NBA All-Star game take. Not traditionally on the floor for the NBA All-Star game. We both heard Fergie's national anthem that was a train wreck two years ago. Was Shaka Khan's national anthem was worse than Fergie's at the all-star game this weekend that is not an overreaction it was so bad i mean she is one of the greatest musicians of all time but i don't know if you watched the mass singer but spoiler alert she's on the mass singer this season and gets voted off before the white tiger who is rob gronkowski it seems like at least and is awful he she she just doesn't have it anymore i know she's a chicago native and it's cool and all but just get somebody who can sing to sing the national anthem this was so bad if Draymond green was there i don't even want to know what would have happened <laughs> this was so much worse than fergie i i seriously could not i couldn't believe it when i was watching it and like my ears just started hurting and uh, i was tough whoever was running production for this game deserves to be fired because we should have seen the flares faces and faces in the crowd when she was singing that national anthem like what happened with fergie because i bet you we would have had some gold i know i know we saw lebron like right at the beginning before she really started trying to hit her notes and he just kind of looked straight faced but yeah i agree i'm sure there were some some gem reactions out there yeah that was definitely one of the ugliest and just worst national anthem performances i've ever heard and it'll be interesting to see if who they bring in next year to top that we could think of a couple maybe britney spears will come and do the nba all-star game next year no she's probably still too talented for the nba all-star game I don't, I don't know that's a very low bar right now maybe millie vanilli who knows maybe i'll do it <laughs> i mean i can't do much worse i don't think that all right bad so let's go ahead and move on to our husker sports recap of the week um last week oklahoma state and nebraska had a home and home series announced for football for like 2035 2036 uh, we talked women's basketballs in action against penn state where they won pretty easily against a, a rough nittany Lions team they also played at northwestern where they lost to the number 18 team 60 to 56 uh uh, baseball had its first weekend series at Baylor under its new coach. First game won 
13-9, looked incredible, lost in extra innings, their second game 8-7, dropped the third one 7-2, just kind of kept going down, it seems like. Uh, softball played at Georgia Tech and Boston College, but played them both twice, split those series one-to-one each. Um, obviously, our wrestling team that Casey and I have fallen in love with over this series uh, wrestled against number 22 Michigan, won 25-15, pretty convincing win. And then, of course, men's basketball continues to disappoint us with an 81-64 loss. They let Brad Davison score more points than I think he had in his entire Wisconsin career, and he's been there for like 12 years. <laughs> they just look so bad, so disoriented. When you when you make Brad Davison look like a superstar, something's bad in your program. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Just watching him run up and down the court, he did not miss anything. I mean, there was no closeout at all on the perimeter with him. He, any shot, he just had. He could have. He could have sat there and took a drink of Gatorade, came back to the basketball and took the shot. There was no I, guarding of him. I think there was actually a clip where he did that once. Yeah. Yeah. Went to the sideline, drank the whole cooler. Even he had that much time. Yeah, it was. It was just disgusting. I mean, if Brad Davison's doing that to your team, you might as well just fold the rest of the season. Another thing that, or one thing I did like this uh, weekend was. Baseball, obviously getting off to a huge start in the, the Bolt Lightning era uh, with a 19-9 win. I mean, they just kept raking and runs that first game. I just kept – I couldn't watch the game, obviously, um, but I kept scrolling on Twitter and just seeing, it. oh, Nebraska scored again. Two minutes later, oh, hey, Nebraska scored again. I mean, it was just crazy. It was just crazy. Yeah, Baylor, a premier baseball team in college baseball, too. Last year was ranked – it seems like they're a perennial trip to the College World Series, it seems like. So if, if Nebraska's doing that in their first game with a new manager, I'm very excited to see what they do the rest of the season. And then, I mean, obviously that second game, they ended up losing the extra innings by one, but they competed with Baylor the whole way. Did drop that third one, like we said, 7-2, to where they, I mean, obviously. They got in a hole early on that yeah. one. They couldn't really do much. Yeah, they, they just couldn't dig themselves out. But pretty impressive series overall. I think a lot of Husker fans have hope for the rest of the season now. Yeah, that there is definitely hope around here. You could tell for who is, if this team can get to the point that that team that won the Big Ten championship a couple years ago could get to. I mean, College World Series is only right down the road. They got to get a team in there soon. Yeah, who knows? Maybe this year. Probably not, but we'll find out. All right, so some of the previews for next week. Husker softball going down to California has some crazy, crazy tough games. Yeah, Oklahoma, BYU, Washington, Cal, Florida. Five games over three-day stretch against some of the top programs in the country. Um, of course, wrestling going on, taking... Taken on number 13, Minnesota in Minnesota. Women's gymnastics will be competing in the Big Five in Toledo with Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State, and Rutgers. Baseball is going to be back on the road for another weekend series against San Diego State down in California. And then, of course, our men and women tennis teams are in action all weekend. Casey, what are you looking forward to? I know we ripped on Nebraska basketball a little bit here earlier, but I do just have this feeling, and my roommate is a big Michigan State fan, huge Michigan State fan. But I think that for, with how bad they play in some of these games and they play down to their opponents, I could totally see Nebraska getting their last win of the season against Michigan State. They're not beating Michigan State. Tom Izzo's not losing that game. Cassie Winston's not losing that game. You never know. I mean, they, they almost lost know, to Northwestern. And Nebraska, Nebraska almost beat Maryland. They could show up. They never show up at home, but they could show up. The thing is, though, is that those were almost. Nebraska has to actually put it away if they want any shot. They're going to need to be making a lot of shots. Um, One thing I'm excited for is obviously Husker softball, you know, Teams like Oklahoma, Washington, and Florida, those are constantly three of the best programs in the country. Obviously, 
you know, all been winning and going to the Women's College World Series for so long, especially over the past decade or so. Oklahoma's constantly been up there, and that's Nebraska's first game. I am interested to see how our, our softball team is going to stack up against this top-tier competition. Yeah, softball was pretty lax last year. They weren't, they didn't live up to expectations at all. I mean, they had a losing record last season, so it'll definitely be interesting to see where they stack up against these top-level talented teams. Maybe they're able to steal one on the road. You never know. You never know. Down in California, anything could happen. All right, so in next week's episode, obviously we'll be talking about the Daytona 500. Did plan on talking about in this one until it got postponed, kind of messed with our recording schedule, but that will be included in next week's episode for everyone. And of course, we'll be trying to help you win money through Daily Fantasy, our betting segments. So come back to us and remember to subscribe wherever you guys get your podcast.